Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to yes. another edition yes. of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How are you doing? I'm Chuck. I'm Godless. And this is your weekly examination of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast, where you can uh, you know, listen to us chatter about uh, a bunch of BS. This week, we've got, we've got uh, Brock from 36 Crazy Fist as our guest this week. Uh, yeah, he's uh, you know, holed up in Alaska and stuff. Well, not really. He's on tour right now, but uh, the, I'm surprised, which is fun because that's that crazy... Uh, civil unrest tour that's been so much controversy and all that stuff that's been around it. So that's that. I'm sure they're ready to be playing music and not talking about it. And 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 you're welcome. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> uh, oh, for the te- the announcement from Terry Universal or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, hey, it's official. The singer is not in the band anymore. Oh. Well, Otep talked about that. She said that they said they were going to do that anyway. So that guy knew his time was about done. He should have just owned it and, and moved on. But that's all good. That would have been like, go out in a blaze of glory. I'm gone. Whatever. You know, I'm leaving yeah. this place, man. Drop the mic and walk <laughs> the fuck out. Isn't that kind of what he did? Grab his own crotch and, you know, do whatever. He, yeah, he sort of did that already, didn't he? Well, I guess maybe it was more like he, he like, it was like he grabbed his wife, held her in front of him, and then back slowly up the room. <laughs> True. Uh, what? No, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Human shield. Human shield. Hey, uh, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search Metal Six Podcast. You'll find us on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher and your favorite podcasting app. Also, every Monday at MetalSucks.net. Oh, son of a gun. I have got, we've got sponsors this week. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, really? That's right. You want to learn how to record music? Check out our friends at Creative Live who uh, have classes on engineering, mixing, and mastering taught by artists like BT Bam, uh, Converge, Periphery, and Dillinger Escape Plan. Head over to creativelive.com slash audio to learn more. All right. Yeah. yeah. Dude, Good those times. guys have got some great blogs, great videos know, on their dude. site. I've been watching a whole bunch of them lately, and that was without knowing that they had anything to do with the podcast. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's yeah. some good advice. Well, because now, you know, you could, you got to learn more about gear and stuff, right? Eh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, just for, for, for everybody. They got stuff for everybody. Yeah, it's really interesting. True. You know, it's always good to take a peek behind the curtain a little bit. And that's that's what they're doing. It's pretty awesome. Which is, you know, what we try to do with our uh, with the all and, uh, you know, one minute to midnight and stuff, too. You know, that's yeah. how people think about these things. You know, it's people and, and like that up. segment. I know. Yeah. No, hey, dude, I did uh, give you props. It is good. Thank you. And our latest idea is in the works in the works. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Something I'm else. Forward to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, me too. If that if that works out, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a fun one. I really think. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, we, we're just gonna hint <laughs> at it. We're gonna tease you. Maybe we'll and make songs that, we're playing this week. Maybe that, songs. We'll make that announcement on our hundredth anniversary show or a hundredth show or whatever. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Songs. No, oh, we're no. gonna do that. You wanted to hear the new Ken Mode this week. I do it. I love this song. Yeah, it's that's so a, good. It's such a. And I'll 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 explain. We'll talk about it a little bit after we hear it, uh, because it is it's such a freaky song. It really is such a freaky song, and it's not typical Ken Mode. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, oh, totally. Totally not typical. And the other cool thing is that, like, I'm listening to the song. It's like he's addressing the entire metal scene. <laughs> I do. That was, who, that was who I thought he was singing to. I have no idea who he's singing to, but, but that's that's how I read it. But you know? then when you see it live, well, like I said, we'll talk about it when we get there. So it's okay, really interesting. Okay, okay. But, yeah. uh, but what, what did we want to talk about? We're going to talk a little bit about the Guar thing that happened this week. Oh, my God. That's, that's some drama going on with that. Absolutely, but we also want to talk about Marty Friedman. <laughs> uh, entertainment, dude. Uh, and you, can't have, you can't have that much that 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 many curls in one band. You know, there's so so much curly permy hair that that they, <laughs> it would just take over. The stylist it, would it, just that, go crazy. Yeah, but perms in peace. I think we're rusted perms. <laughs> rusted perms. There you go. I like that one. Rusted perms is pretty good. Uh, good time. So Marty Freeman, what did what did he say? He said basically that he had the opportunity to join Megadeth, but it wasn't um, uh, not below him, or it was a step back. Is that what he said? It was a step back. Yeah, it was going right. to be a step back for Marty Freeman to go back to go back to Megadeth and 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 do that thing. Hmm. What do you think yeah, that means? I'll, I'll, a Rust in Peace reunion, because that was with Nick Menza on drums, too. He got asked as well, right? I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, Adler, Adler recorded the record, but he's not actually in the band. So they still haven't announced like an actual drummer yet. Okay, got it. They announced yeah, yeah. the guitar player. He's that dude from Angro, right? The uh, What's it? Kiko, Kiko, something like that. Kiko Luero or something like that. Yeah, that's the new guitarist from Megadeth, but... You don't think it'd be good for Marty Freeman to go? Why? Why not? Well, well, all right. So you know, it's so funny just listening to uh, or reading his his comments on why not and why it's a step back and Megadeth needs to be moving into the future and not. It's never been a band that looks in the back. They're not interested in the money. You know, all the usual stuff, right? But it's all the usual stuff that you hear about. I don't know, 12 to 24 months right before you read the interview from the very same person saying, we didn't expect this. It's been totally awesome. Although we're take, you know, although we're doing getting back together, we feel the energy again. You know, that's what people say, you know, it's, but I don't understand why they hold on to that idea. Even though the model's broken, you know, that that model doesn't work. Whenever bands get back together with the old lineup, the next thing you know, they're talking about how great a time it is. And, you know, and then some of those bands just stick with that lineup and, and go, forward with it and i think you know it's, it's such a i don't know it, it, I, I won't say it's pretentious but it's this i don't know sort of weak uh argument that oh no we never look back we always look forward screw that dude the last thing anybody listened to that you did was you know rust in peace no no come on dude what are you what are you talking about that super collider was a fucking awesome record man i mean that was like the, <laughs> the record of the year or some shit man wasn't it like in revolver <laughs> i think so something like that no, I, yeah, I, actually, it probably was. It probably was. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, the, the thing is, but you can't. I mean, I get what you're saying. You say that shit in interviews, but you say whatever you, you, you come on. That's all. That's all bullshit anyway. Half the time. Right. It, yeah. It, so it, probably they just didn't offer Marty enough money. <laughs> yeah, that could be it, too. It would be a step backwards. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think it's more. I think that's got to do more with like personality conflict, you know, in the idea that do you think Marty Freeman is actually going to write a Megadeth song? I mean, they've already got 15 songs written. They're already recording it. It's already getting knocked out. I don't think that uh, whoever they hired can have any say in what Megadeth is going to do. And if they're going to have some kind of personality in there, who's somebody like Marty Freeman, who is good and can write, he's not going to have anything to do. Like as a guitar player, why would I want to join that situation? I'm, I'm, you know, why would I want to be in there? You know, the dude from Angra, 
that's a whole different animal. It's like that dude's like, hey, this is a fucking big step up. You know, I mean, for totally, him, it's yeah, like, oh I, my god, what an opportunity. You know, I'm lo- I'm looking now at the picture of Marty Friedman and his perm over here, and then over <laughs> here is Kiko Lorero right next to it with a big smile on his face. He says, "I'm very happy to be part of Megadeth." <laughs> right? Exactly. Of course uh, he is. He's ready. He's like, yeah, dude. All right, kick ass. But, but you know, when t- before uh, Friedman joined Megadeth, I mean, he was like this like shred guy who you would see all of his like solo albums in the back of hit parader magazine that you know yeah. you could mail order and that was that was it he was just like that's all he was known for and the only people who listened to him were you know aspiring shredders you know that's all that's that was his whole audience you know and and then he gets into rust and peace now his audience is bigger now he wears better jewelry now he's got better perm products and it's <laughs> it's it's you know like come on i mean everybody could use a better perm get back into megadeth there's no way that you can't be making more money yeah but when that ship f- f- looks like it's sailed already do you think you're gonna jump back on it i mean i i mean the thing is is that it, what do you mean ship sail super collider man that fucking thing sank in the goddamn sea dude so i mean he wants I, to jump back on that thing and then being in a position where you can't can't say no I mean, if the like I said, those songs are already written. It's already there. The next album is already done. So I mean, why why would anybody want to jump back in that that's, that wants to have any say? Because who but, knows? He could he could have listened to some of those songs and said, no, this is awful. No, no, no. I mean, dude, we we went and saw uh, Super Collider doesn't play into it because we went and saw Megadeth open for. Iron Maiden months after Super Collider came out, weeks after Super Collider yeah. came out, they didn't play a single song off Super Collider. <laughs> Dave <laughs> Mustaine true. is standing on it's the true. pier. The boat, the boat sank, and it sank so quickly and so thoroughly that he's standing on the pier wearing his captain's hat, staring at the rest of us, going, "Boat? What boat? I don't but, remember." But a boat. how you many know, times that, have we talked about why shit like that happens? Is because there's nobody in the camp that can say no. There's nobody right. that can say I'm gonna, that's going to stand up to Dave and say, "No, this is a really terrible song. We need to redo this, or change this, or do that, or do something else." Nobody can actually stand up and do that shit to him because he's fucking Dave Mustaine. So. So, I yeah. mean, do you think do you do you think he's going to hire Kiko, this guy who's happy to fucking be there, or Marty, who actually has an opinion and might tell him no? I don't know. What do you think? I think he's going to take Marty Friedman because you know they all they want to do is go out on tour and play Hangar Eighteen. That's all <laughs> that this is about. That's all anybody wants to hear. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you Shit, know, somebody that's all in the need, that's all they need to do. I mean, they, they don't need to do anything else. I mean, hell, that's, exactly. a, that's all anybody wants to fucking hear anyway. And you can call that revisiting the past or whatever you want to do. I call it just smart business sense. Well, yeah. I mean, you start to look at the. We talked to what? We Steve Souza and Chuck Billy last week, you know? And the thing is, is that, that, okay, those guys get back together and they kind of revitalize and their music is, is still pushing forward. They actually do a pretty good job with it. You know, I mean, but if the next Testament album is a stinker, you, you know, you may have the same thing to say about that, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. Testament have done a, a pretty they, their career is t- such a different animal. It's so odd. I don't know. They, they've never had that high level mark that that Megadeth had for a couple albums there. Uh, well, you they know, never I, had I the know. they never had the MTV success. They they never had yeah. like the commercial like the Symphony of Destruction success, the soundtracks right. and all that. So they never had that taste of what yeah. that that could do. Because I mean, and that, yet. You know, you put their albums up against Megadeth. I think that they they stand, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. 
I mean, for me, practice what you preach still gets more spins than Rust in Peace does. Well, but I don't know about that. I mean, you know, that, that, that's just, rust that's just my house, you know. <laughs> it's a rust in peace, man. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good. It record. is a good record. Yeah. yeah so I mean, come on, man. Gotta give him that. Okay, but euthanasia. Okay, all right. Now we're yeah. Gonna, okay. Still, but I, I don't know, man. Is it a step back for Marty Freeman, though? I mean, I think because also you know reading the piece that that uh, that Vince wrote, uh, I guess. What if last year was that last year that he did when he went to Japan? Yeah, uh, and and seeing all the other stuff that he's doing, and you know what he's got, what he's got going now musically, I I think that kind of would be a step back. I mean, he's doing some really cool, interesting things, and going back to play some pseudo thrash metal may just be sort of boring. Well, maybe so, but I, I mean, we're talking a Rust and Peace tour would last what three months, four months tops. We're not talking you know, about that tour. We're talking about we're yeah, talking about joining right. Megadeth. Nah, well, see, that's the thing is, I think that if Marty Friedman goes, look, I'm a busy dude. I'm not going to join Megadeth, but call it joining Megadeth and let's do a tour together and we'll see where it goes from there. I think that's a that that should have been part of the conversation if it wasn't. Well, I mean, they kind of did because they already did the was it the was it Rust in Peace, the 25th anniversary one? Was that was that the one that they did uh, or was it? Um, uh, oh, shit. Yeah. 20th anniversary. One of those. Yeah, they already did like one album tour. You know what I mean? They're, 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 do they want to do another one? You know, it's like right uh, now. You bet they do. <laughs> fill the coffers. Yeah, I mean Marty Freeman can just come. He just shows up. He plays the guitar solos. He goes back home. He doesn't even need to show up. He probably can do it via his computer, sitting in Okinawa or wherever the fuck he is. So you know, it's it, he doesn't even have to be there in the room. They, he finds out what key the damn songs and he plays the 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 freaking solo and sends it back <laughs> just piece by piece and like screw it the, the gent yeah, stick yeah I, go for they, it they probably don't even send him the song they tell him what tempo and what key and he's yeah, all right and he just jams out a thing they sends it in and works probably fine and and that's the thing is that yeah, all this idea that he's got to uh uh you know be a part of megadeth there nobody is a part of megadeth except for dave mustaine he is the whole part i don't and know so dave elson he's he's pretty much a part now all the other parts are all just what he decides that he's going to let you have that day and then he takes it away the next day when he you know isn't into it so you know none of those people in the band are, are vital or needed in any way all of this is just a way to be able to market hey look Friedman's back True. and that's why i think this is all about the money i think Friedman want uh, wanted more money and 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 megadeth didn't have enough to give him I mean, dude, if if Metallica are losing money hand over fist, Megadeth are definitely losing money. Hand over I, I don't know. Megadeth didn't try to put on a fucking festival, a three day festival or some shit either. So you know, there wasn't any of that crap. So I mean, the, the opening up the opening gig for Iron Maiden had to make him a couple of bucks. How awesome would a Megadeth movie be? <laughs> oh god you thought you thought the script was wow. unintelligible <laughs> with metallica uh, well what of the, that therapist thinks <laughs> uh, just a, i'd actually like to see that that would be kind of interesting to see where that goes 
Hmm. <laughs> there better be a bus in the movie. That's all I'm saying. There'll be a lot of Alex Jones in it. There'll be a, a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh, there'd be all that too. There'd be. Oh, oh I know. I know. So That's good. what I'm saying. There'd be a lot of nude stuff in there and all kinds of fun stuff. We can, we can get some real shit out of that. I think we need to pitch that to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> the, the metal sucks. Dave Mustaine documentary. <laughs> oh no no no. It would no, be no. fiction. It would have to be fiction but it's inspired by the truth i don't know but it could be hosted by axel rosenberg i think it'd be awesome because <laughs> uh, yeah oh good times uh, now, we, we we love us some megadeth obviously and and the new album i you know i don't think anybody is excited for it right nobody but well i mean you got adler on in there and i, I, th- I think he's got to make it pretty interesting but i think that's what they were trying to do i think i think more than anything that's really what they were trying to do is really trying to get some interest behind this because the last one was such a dud you know such yeah. a dud and i mean i think they're st- and they're also still kind of thinking in their head that this is 1985 and they need to sell records be to be legit and it's like well you know you don't because you're not going to sell any more records than anybody else. It's not. You might get on Billboard with two thousand in the first week or whatever, but you know, you know, it's not going to be the way it was. And I still think they have that kind of mindset where it's like we got. If we do this, we do this. We get these people. We might get this buzz and, and you know, trying to create buzz. And it's like, well, maybe if you just write good fucking songs, it might help. That that would go a long way. Yeah, I think, you know, as long as if you can get like that one song or you can get some interest in the band and some see, that's the thing. It's like it's like, all right. So so all right. Now I'm going to change my mind a little bit. Marty Friedman calls it. uh, uh, What what did he call it? He says uh, he's not into uh, nostalgia at all. Right. And okay, that's what he calls nostalgia. And what I think it actually is, is just really smart marketing. Mustaine and the guys have no good ideas for this new album. And so why not just try to recycle the good ideas that we used to have? Mm. And so no matter what the album is, people go, oh, my God, it's that lineup. And and that is going to get them excited about the band again. And that's a really good idea. They couldn't get that. You know, you get Adler involved. I don't think that like most people who were in their 20s and 30s when, you know, uh, 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 peace cells came out i don't think anybody even none of that crowd seems to would even know who chris adler is but you know it's for for the rest of the metal world that's pretty exciting and i i think that's why adler's there even more than just the fact that he can pound the the crap out of those drums well yeah i mean it's a it's kind of a marketing scheme and 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 if you're marty freeman and you've got your own stuff going on do you want to be that do you want to be the the spokesmodel you know i mean do you want to do you want to be the mascot it's like i don't know that you would well i don't know if if it's him and nick then it's like it's not all on his shoulders one and then two mm, uh yeah. you know it, it, that would just it would do the same thing it did back when he was in the you know classified ads of hit parader magazine it's gonna uh, you know drive interest in his music and his career again you know? except they're not ri- except they're not writing that record though booth. you know they're except they're not writing that record i mean it, that's all yeah p- but nobody cares it's just his name <laughs> shows up and and there's pictures on there or they see him playing or mm. they get to shake his hand and then they're interested in his solo career mm. <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know they write, write a really bad album and then it gets talked about how bad it is and how bad Marty Freeman did. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Did, you know, it can turn for the worse really fast. 
Nah, then Marty Friedman comes to us and does an interview and talks about how he had nothing to do with the writing process, and we'd agree with him because who would believe anything else, you know? And <laughs> okay, good we're point. We're good. All right, good times. Yeah. And scene. All right, done. <laughs> we got to get into our interview with Brock Lindo of 36 Crazy Fist. New record is out, and they are on tour. Time and Trauma is the name of the new album, and we get a chance to talk with them here on the Metal Sucks Podcast. Hey, what's up, dude? How you doing? It's uh, Chuck and Godless from the Metal Sucks Podcast. Hey, on, Chuck. How you doing, man? Oh, we heard you had a little bit of a conflict. Uh... Oh, yeah. Well, my, my daughter, it's spring break here, and my daughter's got ski camp at 10.15, and I realized the time was right about the time that I'm getting her dressed right now, but we're going to make it work. We're going to multitask, as, as I do. Can you give us, like, a play-by-play? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right now, I just took the garbage out. <laughs> I'm, pic- I'm picturing it being just like that scene from uh, uh, A Christmas Story we put on all the gear and then right as soon as the kids got all the gear on the, key, the kids go I gotta pee oh yeah oh yeah that happens how old is uh, how old is the daughter my daughter's five. Oh, oh. skiing yeah oh yeah she's uh, this is her second year skiing second year hockey second year soccer she's a she's a pretty big athlete already F- at five uh-huh, yep. Dude, so what is, what? Is, I mean, I can only imagine what a hockey game of five-year-olds looks like. I mean, that's got to be the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen, right? Yeah, it's it's actually called might development. So last year was learn to skate, and this is pretty much the same thing, except for she's actually on a team now, and they they have practice twice a week, but it's still learning the the very beginning fundamentals of the game. You know, it's nothing too too crazy yet, so... It's just basically you still learn to skate and yeah. the candle and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, my daughter is 11, and we spent we spent four years of soccer just learning how to run back and forth. Uh-huh, yeah. Wait, but listen to what Brock's doing. Brock's hooking her up in, like, the most expensive sports <laughs> to participate in. <laughs> you know, soccer is well, just, like, one ball, and everybody shares it. True. Yeah, no, soccer is uh, probably the best sport I know for the price. Yeah, like, like hockey, that's gear... That's travel. Skates, that's yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's basically what every child does up here, at least initially. So you can't, uh, and it's my favorite sport. So I, I don't. I I wanted I wanted her to at least try it, and she's been enjoying it. I feel bad, Brock. I, I, I gotta let you know that I just recently dismantled. Uh, my home was a shrine to the great NHL coach Scotty Bowman in one of the rooms that I had, uh-huh. and uh, uh-huh. I, yeah, you know the Scotty Bowman trash can, the clock, the <laughs> it really was. It, I mean, it painted the whole bathroom so it was like a, a penalty box. So when you're sitting in the penalty box, you know, doing your thing, you got this creepy wow, old man nice. staring at you. Yeah, and I just dismantled <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but but I, I mean, hockey. I don't even know it exists anymore. You know, it's like. Well, but see, we're in the we're in the South too, so it's kind of yeah. hard. To, you know, you 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 run a hockey bar, so yeah, yeah. I know hockey is uh, hockey's the main sport up here. You know, and um, we just actually had a really cool this weekend um, or the last weekend here a uh, hundred team uh, pond hockey tournament, kind of like the one they do in Minnesota. Then, uh, and this was the first annual of, of this caliber, but. Um, it was just incredible, just a, a really cool event and um, something that hopefully will become a feeder tournament for there. So, yeah, I mean, and, and it's just it, the cool thing about that tournament was 
you know, it was an open division, an elite division, co-ed, kids. I mean, it was, it was really well done. Has it actually been cold enough to, to do that where you're at? Because I was hearing something about, like, the Iditarod, like they had to shift the the start of it and, like, ship in snow and stuff because there was, like, no snow on the ground this year. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, but it's actually seven degrees outside right now. But uh, it, it, it has been super warm. There's no snow. We're actually down in our cabin where, where the ski resort is, and there's a little bit – I mean, there's enough – snow to ski but it's pretty dismal yeah the winter did winter went to the east coast this year yeah right so with uh what you see happening firsthand out there you like climate change is real and it's man-made or you're like climate change is real or climate change is bs climate change uh, yeah you know i don't know uh there's definitely there's definitely some changes that happened since i've been a kid here but you know i remember there being in 1985 there was winter where we didn't have any snow on Christmas. I mean, this has happened before. So, and, and it's, and two winters ago, we had the most snow we'd ever had. So, you know, it just, it just comes in cycles and I don't put too much stock in the old, uh, global warming thing. I mean, it's seven degrees here and it's supposed to be cold. So, and some days it's warm, you know, and really we, we kind of fluctuate quite a bit anyway. Like Anchorage, it doesn't, Maybe two weeks out of the whole winter, we'll get like some minus temps, but it, it hovers around the 20s and 30s most. So, Brock, how many copies of the new 36 Crazy Fist album have been purchased by the Koch brothers? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> get those boys to, put, to purchase a few more. Get the from the uh, for, yeah, I mean, you see it kind of before everybody else would see it, and you've lived in one place pretty much your whole life, right? Uh, yeah, I lived in Seattle for uh, like a few months, and then I moved down to Portland with the band uh, in 97 until 2003. So I moved back in 2000. Got it, got it. So, yeah, are, yeah, for the most part, that, in that area of the country, too. See, and I've lived in all these different places, so like I have no like one single frame of reference to always get back to, you know? Yeah, I, I, I live here because I love it, and uh, it's a special place, but definitely this winter is really been disheartening for most you know people like to skate outside and lots of snow machining here lots of of course the the ski industry totally i would hate to see the uh the the hole that they're trying to patch up from loss of sales and no snow from the mountain here but uh yeah no it's uh it's a special place up here so got the new record man let's talk a little bit music <laughs> now that we've covered <laughs> hockey and kids uh yeah yeah new record it's a, man it's been it's been a while five years in between the two didn't seem like it was that long but it, it, it was did be like brian slagle take you to see like hockey games at that time trying to woo you to metal blade no you know uh you know i think there might have been a little bit of interest from them just from my management talking to me but i i personally never talked to him yeah and you guys switched management that time you've changed everything yeah well, i think we needed to you know i think with the with the mindset that we kind of had going into the record we did everything on our own i mean we 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 recorded the album ourselves i mean I, by ourselves i mean of course my guitar player has been doing our records for the past three records but um in our own studio you know self-financed we did our own photo shoot we did our own uh video for the first song that we released all on our own so when we actually sat down with spine farm we were like we just had everything done. We were ready to turn in the record. We had the album artwork was also done. So 
so it was kind of a, an interesting position to be in where it was basically, you know, what can you do for us? And if you can't do what we can do for ourselves, then uh, we're going to do it ourselves. So that was kind of the, the, the mindset we had, a, a little bit uh, arrogant and a little bit confident, I think, which, which was good for us because, you know, in the past year, we had been kind of a suitcase and we jumped around to a few labels. And if you don't know the business, as you don't when you're younger, uh, you know, it just kind of takes advantage of you if you're not paying attention. And I don't mean people in general want to take advantage of bands. I just mean that the industry itself is kind of lopsided, let's say. So um, we just went in with uh, all guns blazing, had the record that we felt was extremely strong and had all those things that I mentioned ready to roll. And we were just kind of, it was fun to watch the faces or listen to the conversations about, you know, just how they were like, wow, okay. <laughs> and, and we'd all, and we had just toured the UK by ourselves as well on our own that we self paid for as well. So it was just like, you know, we could do this on our own and are we going to do it on our own or is somebody want to join up with us and swing for the fences one more time with us. And that was kind of the, the mindset that we went into all the meetings with. And it was good to be in that position for once. So, I mean, was that mindset like, completely different from before i mean did you feel like before like when you were going because who were you on were you on uh ferret roadrunner and Ooh. ferret and uh yeah roadrunner and ferret mostly so i mean did, did, yeah. do you feel like this was a i mean obviously a different experience but do you feel like before you were more hat in hand like kind of going and it's just the experience that led you to this point where you're like we're just going to do it this yeah, way i think so i think mostly the experience and the the years going you know ups and all the ups and downs that you live through um and mostly you know we had management so we just kind of leave it in their hands and and hope for the best and not really pay attention to the fine print of everything and um i mean it wasn't anything like that we got taken for a zillion dollars or anything like that it was not it was just you know if you want to be in you know in charge of your band you really have to take charge of it you know you have to be involved with every every piece of it and and therefore once we kind of started figuring that out you know it just it, it gets you just so much more in tune with what's happening and then you can demand a little more as well because if you uh, have been promised certain things and it's not coming to fruition then you need to jump all over it and have your people jump on those things and so i think it's just being more involved and that's the uh, uh you know the, the eyes and ears of the the wily old veterans i guess now it's funny because like sometimes we'll talk to musicians and they'll talk about their managers as being like the fifth man or the sixth man in the band. And then other times it's, you know, practically paid staff. I mean, did you guys have a close relationship with your previous management or uh, did you feel distant from them? Our old manager, Larry Mazur, uh, I love him to death. And he, he did try his hardest. I mean, we were his he had big bands, you know, and, and we were not necessarily a big band. So he tried very hard to break our band. I think he, it was his goal, you know, to really have that happen for us. And I think he got frustrated with the labels that we were at and the, the lack of resources that they wanted to put in. So in the end, you know, when I, when we, I mean, we kind of, when we got off the road in 2010, I wasn't really sure the future of the band at all because I just, you know, my mom had got diagnosed with cancer and I just felt like I didn't want to, you know, pay attention to anything other than family at that moment. And that led to a few years actually. And, um, and at that point 
when uh, it was time to, you know, demo the new album. And I went back to our manager. He was just kind of moving on. You know, he had maybe one metal band left, and that was Lamb of God. And uh, and they were going through the Randy's problems in Czech Republic. So, you know, he was pretty busy with that. And I was kind of of the mindset that, you know, we kind of wanted to clean house, not necessarily for management, but definitely definitely with label and, and, and uh, you know, publicist and, and booking company and things like that. So, uh, but once he was you know, kind of told me that I should go check a couple other guys. Uh, it was great because we, we picked up Steve Davis, who I'd been friends with for years, who's with Devil Driver and Monster Magnet and, you know, Campbell Court, many band, many great bands. And, uh, and I was friends with Steve. So once I talked to him, uh, it was just, you know, we just decided to clean house, get, get everybody new around us except for, well, at least in North America. And, uh, and that's what we did. And it's been, I mean, it's been night and day uh, so far with Spine Farm and everyone that's working the album. I mean, I've never, I've actually never done this much press for any album. And this is, you know, we're heading towards our 21st year. So that's all really positive. And I'm, I couldn't be really happier than, than, than what Amy and John are doing for us on this side of the world. And uh, yeah, it's just been great. Did you ever think about giving up in the midst of all that? Like, did it, did it ever did it get you like that discouraged? I don't really know if I ever thought about like totally giving up because, I mean, this is our baby. You know, we we were teenagers when we started this band. I'm almost forty years old, so it's like it's just been our life. It's our identity. It's, we've had so much fun with it. So I didn't really realize how much I needed to still do it, or or on what level I needed to do it at but I knew I still needed to make music and I still love the guys in my band. So it wasn't really the topic of let's just hang it up. But to be honest, I mean, I wasn't totally sure either. I wasn't sure what the future held for the band. At that point, you know, when I was initially thinking that there wasn't too much demoing going on yet, I was, well, I was dealing with what my mom was dealing with and, uh, you know, just, things of that nature yeah i mean because you had so many things that are going on in your personal life you obviously have a daughter who's who's young who's five about that about that same time you restaurant tour you know doing the podcast radio stuff you got like all these other things going on and it's like (laughs) now let's go subject ourselves to the gauntlet of the of the record industry again (laughs) you know it's like whoa (laughs) yeah there was definitely some hesitant feelings about it you know just because you do get to a certain point where you're like well maybe maybe you don't want to subject yourself to those things anymore, but, um, you know, just when the record was done and, and I, we had like seven labels that kind of came sniffing around, which was also kind of surprising. We weren't really expecting that. So when all that started happening and people were giving us feedback on the demos, you know, it just kind of got exciting again. And, you know, Dan is one thing I was telling Holt about, uh, my guitar player that, you know, Hey, if nothing ever, if nothing happens, you know, it, it wouldn't be any different than any other time, you know? <laughs> well, sweet. We made the right call, you know? So uh, it's just one of those things. Yeah, that nothing venture, nothing gain, right? Exactly, exactly. But And so far, you know, well, obviously, I mean, we charted higher than we've ever charted in the UK. We charted higher on the top 200 billboard than we ever have. And I know, you know, people aren't buying records like they were anyway, so it's easier to chart higher. I get all that. But it's still little victories, and you got to take them, you know? You I've, I've kind of learned to not look so far in the future and uh, just kind of enjoy today. And I used to never do that. I used to always been like, okay, what's next? Who's doing what for us? What do we got to do to get to that spot? Now I'm just like, 
I mean, we just got home from the, the month-long Europe tour, and it was the best tour we've ever done. And, you know, it's always been great there, but this this was a very special tour. And, uh, you know, the fans just firing on all cylinders. I mean, we're just so excited about everything. And, you know, we got great U.S. opportunities now. We're going out with non-point in a couple of weeks that jumps into five-finger death punch. And then we headline from Canada back over to the West. And it's just a good amount of work to do this year. And, you know, that's that's going to be the cool thing about 2015. And, having a fresh look at it your facebook posts were hilarious during that europe tour because every every show was like this was the best show ever oh my god the, the next show was even well you never like compared two cities to each other but you always managed to like compliment them as if they were like the greatest show that's ever happened it was really really well done yeah that's cool you know it's it's hard to see what if somebody's not really involved how they're reading those things but i mean i i do that like basically moments after i get off stage and it was just, it was incredible. I mean, those people are, are so loyal to our band and, you know, they know every word, they fill the house and it's just a special thing when your band's having fun and that's the crowd you're playing to. I mean, there's really, there's nothing else you can ask for. I think that's my New Year's resolution for next year I'm planning is to get good at compliments like you are. I can do insults pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at insults, but I can I can compliment the shit out of you. <laughs> Real quick, so rewind during this period where you guys are, are are in this limbo, what about the other guys in the band and what were their communications with you? Were they like, hey man, I I don't want to get a real job? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, everybody does kind of have a real job. I mean, Steve, he owns his own recording studio, and so he records bands. And then uh, our drummer, he, he works at a print shop, and then our bass player has been a painter for many years. So everybody kind of has their gigs, but no one loves their gig more than the band. So, uh, you know, it's it's always one of those things. But, um, yeah, no, the guys were eager for me to finish up the, the vocals. They were very patient and for that, I'm I'm pretty grateful to those guys. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about what you're saying about the European crowds and all that stuff, and I'm thinking about when like the first time I saw you guys and when you how you guys fit into metal and in the last decade, fifteen years or so, and a lot of your contemporaries are kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah, is that something that uh, that gets in your head at all, style wise? Because I mean, at the same at the same time you see in a lot of people that are kind of coming back around to it because it's that we're a decade removed from when like the beginning of metalcore or whatever you want to call it and people right. are kind of getting back into it did some of these other bands bow out too early and you guys are like yeah, the 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 winners in this or yeah what are you going to tell doc Coyle? tell <laughs> well you know i think it's it's kind of what you said you know it's like the older the older you get you know um i think maybe those guys probably had to you know, we're talking about like, you know, Chimera and God forbid, yeah. Diecast. Well, I think Diecast is still going, but certain friends that, that have had to decide not to continue on, I think it's a financial thing. You know, you get to a certain age and, you, you know, you, it's not acceptable to come home and, and lose money anymore. So, you know, and that's kind of how the industry goes when you're the level of band that those guys and uh, we are. And um, that's why a lot of bands do have to stay, well, you know, overseas, you can make a living overseas because if you have a, if you have a good following, I mean, I think you can do it. It's just, it's just the grind of being over there for six months out of the year. And, um, you know, but you can make a, a much better living over there. And that's why, you know, I think some bands have to gravitate towards that and, 
and neglected. There was at one point I, I never cared to do the States ever again. I mean, it's just, it's, it's never been that great for us, but um, you got to kind of change that mindset because you know there are great American fans that want to see the band and so you got to kind of put those things away and, and, and save your pennies so you can make it happen. It seems like if there's one reason that you guys will survive besides having great songs is being, you know, having this sort of um, uh, uh, mindset of being independent, doing your own thing and everybody else working for you rather than vice versa. You think that that's kind of critical, that sort of entrepreneurial mindset? Well, absolutely, because, you know, the labels don't have the the resources to, to give you what they did in, when we first got signed. You know, I think we were actually one of the, uh, one of the last bands probably in the late nineties to even sign a, a contract that was, you know, in the two fifty three $300,000 range. I mean, those things don't exist anymore, you know? And, uh, and, and on the other side of things, you don't need that much money to record a record either. So <laughs> it all worked out, but, uh, you know, I, I just think if you don't, you know, do the take the DIY uh, route, you're you're basically leaning on uh, a resource that isn't there anymore. And they're looking for, you know, labels are looking for kids with the right haircut and you know <laughs> that are that got the catchy chorus and are going to be able to sell some records. And I think so many bands now just sound exactly the same. And I'm not dissing anybody. I'm just saying that you know the the days of taking a chance on a band like Faith No More, or, uh, you know, just some some bands that are standing out on their own. They're very it's very hard to find them these days, and uh, obviously they're out there. I mean, you listen to like that band, Twelve Foot Ninja from Australia. I mean, that's a pretty unique band that's coming out. It's making some noise, and um, I said Faith No More. They kind of sound like that kind of style, but. Um, I think it's harder to find. So if you don't do it on your own and you're, you're, you're relying on a label to make your dreams come true, then you're going to be, you're going to be bummed out. So how much of that sort of entrepreneurial thing comes out of owning your own restaurant or is it vice versa that you wanted to get into the restaurant biz because you had so much experience as a musician, as an entrepreneur? I mean, it was just another dream I had, you know, I always wanted to own my own bar and basically, you know, one of the coolest things about, in the bar is when your buds come in and you're behind the bar and you know you share them a beer. I mean, it's a cool thing, and I, I always wanted that. So you know, my my family helped me do that. It wasn't just me on my own, but uh, and and my friends as well that invested in it. So um, it, it, yeah, but you know, that's that's coming of age, getting smarter, and realizing that you know uh, we got to make money. We got to we got to have can't put all your eggs in one basket. You can when you're younger. But eventually, you've got to find a new route to have a revenue stream when you have a family and, you know, a wife and things of that nature. So that's, that's all it is for me. I mean, I just, I grew up commercial fishing with my dad. I did it for 20 years. So I've always been finding a way to make money and, and working for it. So I'm not uh, not afraid to get my hands dirty, uh, I guess. Has the restaurant had the same kind of success that 36 Crazy Fist had, or is it a different kind of struggle? Yeah, it's totally different. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's got, you know, the special thing about Alaska is just the, the support that the, the local people give locals. I mean, everybody really rallies behind their own up here, and that's always been something that I've noticed, even through the band. You know, we, we'll be on tour with the band, and we go through their hometown, and, you know, they don't draw more than 10 people. And I'm not talking about bigger bands, but 
you know, so, uh, you know, we come home and it's, it's a pretty big event every time. And, and we've always had that. And I've always been super grateful to the people up here. So it's the same with the restaurant when people knew that it was mine. Uh, they definitely rallied behind it. I mean, I play in local hockey leagues here too. So I have a huge, huge, uh, you know, support group from the local hockey community too. And, and our place is, you know, the, the hockey place to be. I mean, it's all decorated in black and white, vintage 70s NHL. And and even the senior leagues from the sixties, seventies up here in Alaska. So it's got a lot of it's got a good vibe inside of it. Yeah, but I saw I did my time in the restaurant industry. <laughs> it's, it's like I don't know which would be worse: being on tour and that that struggle, or the struggle to run a restaurant. Because I mean, the uh, restaurant business is so hard. I mean, it's so hard. People think it's so easy, but it's not. No, no. You know, we uh, we ended up buying a building that was an old Boston's pizza, which I'm not sure if you guys have that franchise out there, yeah, but, yeah. um, so yeah, we, uh, so it had franchise size kitchen and that wasn't our original model. Our model was more of a, a dive bar with, you know, some, some healthier foods, but not necessarily a full on raging kitchen. And so once we got our building we had to adapt to it and that's the biggest nightmare is just the kitchen. I mean, just, uh, from, you know, not just babysitting employees. I mean, that, that kind of comes with the territory, but just keeping fresh food and not ordering too much. That's the, that's the big learning curve that I had. And, uh, yeah, I'm not a, I like when the booze just sells itself. The food is a whole nother animal. Yeah. It seems like that, that would be the hardest part, you know, like when you order something on Monday, it's got to get oh, consumed dude. by Wednesday or Thursday. Inventory or... is is an art. It is an art form. How do you do it, Brock? <laughs> well, that's a great that's great staff, and I'm not managing the restaurant anymore. So that there's people involved that are that are you know been with the operational experience for many years. So once uh, now you know I'm I'm full time back with the band, so I'm not really as involved on that side of things. But the people that are you know they're pros and they've been in this this city and, and this industry for many years and kind of know how those things work. So I was kind of, I was pretty green to be honest, or well, really green to, except for outside of the bartending side of it, which I hadn't done much of either, but everybody can make a pretty good Jack and Coke around here, you know? So, uh, it, it, it was an eye-opening experience for me. There's a, a, a great book that John Mackey wrote. John Mackey's the founder of Whole Foods, and he was talking about how when he founded the grocery store, he was like a socialist in inside and out. He was like, everybody gets paid the same no matter what you do, and everybody's going to have part ownership, and, and you know we're going to use the right vendors, we're going to do this, that. And then slowly over time, he, he discovered that that was just not going to be sustainable. Have, had you ever had any sort of ideas that you went into this restaurant with that just the experience of owning it and managing it has completely changed for you? No. I mean, I think a lot of it's been open, like an eye opening experience for me just because I'm learning the business more. And, um, but I think the most eye opening experience that, that I didn't really come into account with was the food side of it. And like I was saying, you know, I just, that's a real beast that your chef or whomever your, your, your ordering personnel is that really has to be on top of things. And, um, and then, you know, just creating a special every day that's, you know, going to hit the social media right before lunch and same with dinner. And it's just, I didn't really know all the ins and outs of how that would work and really seeing it now as the bar's been open for a year and a half, you know, a year and a year and a few months, actually, uh, you know, just those were big learning things that I didn't really think about before the doors were open. So now when did you become 
a beer snob. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let's be honest. Because <laughs> you wouldn't know. I mean, Miller High Life is my go-to beer. I may have, so, but you know, my, <laughs> oh, man. I'm a Lone Star Light guy, so I know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, my my role on the show is kind of the average beer drinker that's been learning about craft beer for now, you know, three years. Wait a second, Brock, Brock, Brock. If Miller High Life is average, what's the below Oh, there's a a lot below Miller High Life. Oh, there's a lot below. Oh, yeah, we got some natural ice. You got that down there? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, there's a lot (laughs) below Miller High Life. (laughs) I mean, come on, it's the champagne of beers, you know? Oh, man, you can't go wrong with the champagne of beers. But uh, but I'm an IPA guy now, and, and I really love IPAs. And, and being in Europe this last month, I went, and it was so cool to see how much craft beer is blowing up over there, like it is everywhere now. But uh, back in the day, touring you know the UK and things like that, it was always you know just an ale, or uh, you know you definitely could always get a Guinness. But um, this kind of more flat tasting beers, I felt. And uh, I really noticed that they got a big craft brewery explosion going on over there now. Well, they got better ingredients, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I love craft beer, though. And I I just like the idea of, you know, this, I guess we've got to, the beer show's got to go to a couple different breweries and, and help make a signature brew for the show and just the whole science that's involved with all of it. And, you know, it's. Those the, the brewers are cool people, but they're really, really smart guys. I mean, you know, it's uh, they're they're usually foodies, which I totally am a foodie, and uh, so I, I just think I really relate to these guys. They're a little bit more on the hippie side of things, which as I got older, I can tolerate a little better. But uh, <laughs> you know, no, they're good people, and uh, I really have enjoyed the learning curve of craft beer while I'm kind of the still the the high life guy on the show so yeah i mean i listened to a, a few of the recent episodes uh, but i mean did you start off with that sort of mentality as far as like uh, i'm the everyman teach me about this kind of stuff oh yeah definitely because i was a, i was a guest first um they had a t- they had another a lady that ran the show with my partner chris and uh i don't really know the ins and outs of how she was let go or if she quit but um when she was let go it was like right after i was a guest and uh we just, uh, he asked if I wanted to co-host it with him. I'm like, yeah, dude, beer show, let's do it. So, uh, and that was kind of during the time when I was not doing the band either, or not very much. So um, it just seemed to work out perfectly. Now, is the restaurant, like, are you bringing in the craft beers to the restaurant? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, it's all local beers. I mean, we have, we have other beers, but on, on draft, it's all local. Did you, do you have, like, issues with, like, uh, you know, the state alcohol board and all that sort of thing, and that really made those kinds of things, bringing alcohol and stuff in the restaurant, challenges that you didn't anticipate as well? Uh, I mean, I kind of knew about them just because, just you know, you got to, you, you hear about them, and then I had a really good friend that helped us, um, you know, that works at the ABC board, so she kind of lined me out as well with my paper. I felt like a like kid in high school again, cheating off the, the hot chick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the, those things were definitely, you know, the, the meetings that we had to go to and things like that. Uh, it was another big learning experience for us as well. Well, yeah, because we got uh, some local breweries around here and they have a whole, it's a whole big pain in the ass to try to get their stuff in in supermarkets to get yeah. it to sell it at the brewery or to not sell it or whether they can sell it in the bar, how many ounces it can be, like, 
it's such a big pain in the ass for some crap brews, and it seems like there's all these obstacles that that keep getting thrown up in their way. It, it is a pain in the ass, and up here we have some of the strictest liquor laws in the world. I would think up here just because of the alcohol is a problem. So uh, it was. It's definitely you know our. I, I was in Portland talking to one of my buddies who owns a barn for a full liquor license. It cost him about ten grand for it. Well, it cost me almost three hundred grand. Oh, so, yeah. and, and and there's only certain amount that are allowed to be given out. And then, uh, you know, there's all these rules, of course, church and schools and where you can't be by. But um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was definitely a pain in the ass. Wait a second, three hundred thousand dollars. It's actually there's no price on it. It's like it's you know, supply and demand. There's no more being given out. Right. So um, you can charge whatever someone will pay for it. And there's a lot of chains that are coming around. And, you know, we just had a Texas Roadhouse. I think they they uh, they paid, well, let's see. I got mine for 260 but I think they just paid for one for 300 I heard. So, you know, it, it, just, it just depends on, you know, what's out there. What's kind yeah. of like backwards about that is that in order for that to pay for itself, you have to sell the alcoholics in your town a shitload of alcohol. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. But, you know, it's it's kind of like gold, you know. It's like people really want them. So if you have one or multiples, it's uh, it, it, it's kind of a good piece of, of uh, paper to be holding. Yeah, no uh, kidding, man. Well, I guess, yeah, that's right, because it's an asset that you would hopefully, unless the, you know state decides oh no no we're now going to allow restaurants uh, to have uh, everybody can have an alcohol license now you're now it's worthless but as long as that doesn't happen then your like your license is going to be an asset that you can sell for a lot more than 260 in the future exactly exactly ah so so you could mortgage that right you know or or refinancing is you can't you have to pay with it from with cash so you can't uh, get a loan from a bank to have it they won't recognize it that way. So it's still got these weird rules, and it's it was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it's so complicated. <laughs> and my wife's all the time. Like, well, let's open a restaurant. No, no. Let's 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 throw ourselves off a bridge. No wonder you want to get back into the road. <laughs> get back on the road, <laughs> yeah, man. Forget totally. it. Let's go. <laughs> I got to get out of here. <laughs> Stop thinking to hand me a pizza. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much for the time that you spent with us. We greatly appreciate it. Oh, man, it was great. It was great talking with you guys, man. That was fun.
to the Metal Sucks Podcast today.
brand new song from Ken Mode called Blessed. It is wicked good. I told you it was it was strange. Definitely departure oh. from what they've done before, and it's freaky. I don't know. It's freaky it's, sounding to me. Isn't it exciting to hear a band who just takes a huge leap forward? I mean, that to me, that song for them, and and you know me, that they're, they're like one of my favorite live bands. You know, they're they're, they're like I will not miss a, a Ken Mode show. They're amazing live, but. Like uh, recording, it, they're not something that I go back to over and over again because it's just it's it's a little too intense. You yeah, know? the experience I, is actually on stage where you really want to see it with those guys. Yeah, and I respect it to all get out, but it's something that I gotta be in exactly the right kind of mood before I'll you know. Well, that I think that was the scary the scary fucking song that they did on stage where he was yelling at his bass. Yeah, yeah. Remember probably. that when they, it was the two bass song and like he was grinding his bass into the floor and he's like screaming at his bass as he's yelling at it. And it's like, I think that was what I think that's what song that was, if I am not mistaken. That shit at the end where he's just screaming. It's like, yeah, I think he's yelling at his bass. I don't think he's, I don't know. I don't know what he's I don't know what he's talking to, but go oh my God. I don't know if I want to be around him anymore. He's definitely not doing my taxes. I know that for sure. And it's saying a lot when there's a band that has no guitar and two basses on a song, and I'm walking away going, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> right? It's like, that's amazing. That, that's saying a lot. Oh, my God. That's saying a lot. Ah, uh, dude. No, that, uh, yeah, the new one is, it's really good, man. Uh, honestly. Uh, I can't wait to hear the rest. But it's, the, that song it's completely so different than, uh, than, than what I've heard before from them. So I, I kind of dig it, though. I like it quite a yeah. bit. Uh, yeah. Good times. Now, one of the other big news stories that came up this week and uh, just seemed really, really strange. We just kind of wanted to touch on it a little bit was uh, the stuff that happened with, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The uh, Dave Brocky's dad. Right, uh, I think it's like William Brocky William Brocky, like yeah, that. about the the potential lawsuit uh, over the ashes of Odorous Arungus and uh, some of his estate that was existing. Because I thought it was such a strange story to see that pop up. I mean, honestly, you know, when anybody dies and has got any kind of notoriety, you can expect some kind of legal something to go down. Somebody didn't dot their eyes and cross their t's, and something's going to happen, right? But I don't know. This seems like a really odd odd deal a year later right well yeah i mean dude so you remember when we interviewed the guys and i was like but what about the family guys what about the family that's me going "Uh, something's gonna calm down and oh no he's cool he's cool you sure yeah he's cool Oh, did he I sign the paperwork is he cool is he that kind of cool or is he is he just cool cool man And maybe that's part of the thing. Like, probably William Brocky was just like you. It's like, yeah, the band's going to be pretty much over. They're saying they're not going to be over, but it's pretty much over. So there's no more blood to get out of this <laughs> right. corpse. You know, the, the kid ain't going to send no more checks, and the rest of the guys aren't either. So, But then they, you know, go or go out and are, have a extremely successful tour. Extremely and, and successful it, festival. Yes, and keeping the brand alive. They have successfully, I think, navigated the most difficult time in the history of Guar and and done it with almost perfect precision. Totally. To the point, I mean, we're we're excited to go see Guar the next time they come around, right? No, I know, totally. I mean, like I said that when you know, we talked about that before is that I thought that the performance after his death, the first time we saw them in Housecore, 
was one of the best performances I've ever seen them do. And it, I've been watching that band for over 20 years. And it's, yep. it, I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. And, you know, and I did not think they were going to continue or would be able to continue without Dave Brocky. And they, they, they've, completely blow me away and i mean we talked about that too is that is that they have handled the death of dave almost perfectly and there's no i've never heard of another band that's been able to pull this off as well as the guys in guar and 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 everybody in that camp because i mean not only did they keep the legacy alive but they also like flipped it did such a cool uh public funeral and then the private funeral was well done and then the like all of it and then the festival and then the you know all the all the stuff that surrounded the barbecue and everything with that i mean like it was such they did such a great deal and then have this kind of come down it's like oh crap here's a big old wet fucking blanket on top of all that shit you know it's like it's i hate to see that fire put out you know yeah, the only thing they didn't do right is not hire William Brocky to play second tambourine because <laughs> <laughs> somehow this guy's feeling left out, and it's probably because the checks, you know, are, are he was probably expecting more money or something. I mean, th- this was the problem with uh, 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 with Dave is that he he didn't, you know, look if you're gonna do if you're gonna shoot heroin create a will you know just write down a will you know make it legal because <laughs> there's probably no will there and you got a whole bunch of band members and you got a family and they're all trying to figure out what he might have wanted but they now you know as time goes by they what he might have wanted probably includes more money for everybody you know mm. yeah but you got to think that that i mean Dave Dave Brucky is probably not the sole owner of Slave Pit Incorporated. You know, I mean, I he, I think it, we've talked about that too. And yeah, it, you know, he's not the only person that that that's involved in all of that stuff. Do you or, think he was majority owner, or do you think he's a minority owner? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really sure about that. So, I mean, I guess that's probably what's going to be part of part of what's figured out in the middle of all this. You know, I think the the unified statement from the guys in Guar was actually really good coming back about it because you know they didn't point the finger at William Brocky. They didn't they didn't like you know backlash at him or anything like that. You know, where it's a, a war of words. You know, it was very measured. It was very thought out. It was very you know, definitely what they needed to say, you know what I mean? It, yeah. And it made them made, made everybody go, look, you know, we're looking out for everybody's best interest, you know, not just not just Dave, not just the band, not just Slave Pit Incorporated. They're looking out for, you know, his dad and everybody else as well. So it seems like maybe somebody else has got is bending his ear and going, hey, your statute of limitations is running out, dude. If you're going to yeah. do anything, you got to put this shit in. So, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to file something if we're going to file something, you know. So, yeah, we got to put that in there, you know. And it seems like there's somebody, some fucking lawyer somewhere that's that's saying some shit, in, in, you know, whispering with the little yep. devil horns, and, and that's the kind of shit. That's how the shit gets fucked up. Fucking lawyers. And and I would t- I would totally expect that you know the the, the slave pit guys are. Uh, mature and and smart enough that probably just about everything that they did related to Guar and related to Slave Pit and related to Dave Brocky ever since the the moment the guy croaked was gone you know has gone through a lawyer you know they've yeah Yeah. they must have consulted somebody all the way down the line so therefore you know when they get sued by the dad it's just because it has to happen it's because true (laughs) they did anything wrong you know that's actually a good point you know those things are just 
the, also the way that you settle these things out and not have anybody get butthurt later on 10 years down the line yeah, uh, yeah. and freak out about it. Uh, so you, you get the lawyers involved, you get it all straightened out. And then, then they, they say, okay, we get 20, per, we give him 20% of everything from now on or whatever as part of Dave's what, you know, this thing or that thing. So I think the worst part was, was that just any allegations of wrongdoing sounded you know, pretty bad. You know, the, the, the headline was pretty terrible. It's like blah blah blah. Guar makes off with Dave Brocky's ashes or whatever. <laughs> it was like, yeah. well, that's oh, that sucks. Wait a minute, <laughs> I, I I saw a burn on a fucking Viking ship in the middle of a lake. That's what I saw. I don't know. So I thought it was. Uh, that's probably the worst part of it is that sensationalizing of those headlines and things like that. It's like, oh god, sucks. You know, are, what's pretty interesting about the Guar statement you know and, and then, like you said it's not a war of words it's very uh uh measured i i, I gotta read this this is gonna they said following dave's passing the first thing we did was notify his father who signed over dave's body so we could have him cremated imagine that you're handing over your kid's body to his buddies to set it on fire you know that's pretty cool all right but we were told by dave's father i probably did do not- the same thing I'd, I'd be willing to do that you know, go ahead just get just do just light me up do it we were told by dave's father that he did not want to be involved in making dave's final arrangements for this reason slave pit assumed that responsibility paying for his cremation arranging two memorial services and purchasing a plot for dave in richmond's famed hollywood cemetery dave's father did not attend either of the services held for his son in richmond it's like mm. so all right so now all of this is starting to kind of crystallize a little bit here i think that dave's dad you know who who obviously dave rebelled against and no you know, shot heroin because he, he was did. so upset about uh, with him but okay so dave's dad never consulted a lawyer through any of this he just kind of gave it over until now and this new lawyer's got to get paid, so he's gonna, you know, he's, he's gonna go after this. That's all. All this is about. Mm. I think. I think you know, Guar have probably done this right all the way down the line. Of course, is you know, it, trust me. If the concert at House Core had sucked, we'd be like, yeah, Guar might have screwed up, <laughs> but the concert was good. So we're like, true, true right? Yeah, good point. Good oh point. no, they, they they did this right all the way. To, Your Honor, I submit some concert footage. <laughs> <laughs> right, no shit. Like, uh, yeah, if they if they had made some wrong steps or, or uh, yeah, if, if the Viking ship had sank before it went up in flames, then, then maybe. Uh, <laughs> I just love to see the uh, the hologram of of Odorous Urungus on, on on the stand. stand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, it's coming. It's coming soon, man. <laughs> you know, it'd be so great as if Gore were, were like you know five times the uh, five times more popular than they are. They could like when this is over, just make a really great hour and a half long movie that just totally lampoons it. You know, to take this story and let it you know further inspire the the Gore you know uh uh legacy you know you know this is the uh um uh, you know odorous uh Urungus's dad comes back and is this awful character and you know that that'd be awesome i could totally see where this is going you know oh, no no i hope not i don't i hope it doesn't go that far <laughs> i mean like i mean like in the end the theater of it, it would be kind of fun but oh man like Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> his, his dad drags him to hell in the vortex of uh, vortex of time. Like, at, no, at the no, mi- no. 
At the minimum, I hope they chop off his head right after they do it with Sarah Palin, right? At the minimum. Uh, after what I saw him do to Michael Jackson, uh, they could do a lot worse than that, man. They could do a hell of a lot worse than that. All right, we got to wrap this episode up, man. Uh, this episode uh, brought good. to you by uh, Creative Live, man. Want to learn how to record music? Check out our friends at Creative Live uh, who have classes on engineering, mixing, and mastering taught by artists like Between the Bear and Me, Converge, uh, Periphery, Dillinger Escape Plan. Head over to creativelive.com slash audio to learn more. And also, while you're uh, online, make sure you uh, check us out every Monday at MetalSucks.net. Also, iTunes. Uh, just search Metal Sucks Podcast on iTunes. You can find us. Subscribe. Leave us a couple stars. Tell us that we suck. And uh, you can find us on the Twitter box as well. I'm at Bearded Ape. I'm at Godless Speaks and Facebook. Oh, and Facebook and Spotify and, and Spotify. everything else. I'm going to be on Tidal soon. I can't wait for that. i got to give Madonna some more money. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> can't Are wait. you... Uh, you're going out to uh, uh, what? Like not like Nam, but like something. I'm going else to the like National that, right? Association of Broadcasters. Oh, Duh. Be. God, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to be cool. in Vegas uh, for a couple of days. So uh, yeah, that'll be fun. I've never you're been live tweet that shit. I've never been to Vegas, dude. I've That's never, awesome. I've never been to Vegas, not once. Dude, you have to, have to go. I know you're not a Kiss fan, but you <laughs> have to go to the rock and roll. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the Hotter Than Hell Wedding Chapel, man, and and the Kiss Mini Golf. It's all in one building. It's right across from the Hard Rock. Wait, did you, you, did, you did you renew your vows there? I renewed my okay, vows yeah. there, man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Gene right. Simmons boots and everything, man. Okay, if I go, I'll take a picture for you. With, with <laughs> I'll, I'll post a selfie on Twitter for you, and it'll be great. Yeah, awesome, dude. Oh, dude. All right. Good times. Next week, I have no idea what the hell's going to happen because I'm going to be in Vegas. We'll see if I can come back alive. <laughs>